When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. The term black water is becoming super common in the aquarium world these days, isn't it? The idea of black water aquariums with their tinted color and the you know mysterious aesthetic is hardly new to the hobby of aquariums. No one really invented this. No one was the one person who just said, hey, we should throw leaves and seed pods in our tanks. It just sort of evolved. Yeah, and evolution is kind of what we're going through now at scale. It's happening fast every day. We're seeing hobbyists going beyond yesterday's blackwater tanks look dirty mindset and embracing the aesthetic for what it is, a very natural looking vibe that replicates the conditions found in certain natural environments around the world. But it's going beyond just the look and the aesthetics. Uh, with this acceptance of the look and the ephemeral nature of botanicals in the aquariums, a definite mental shift's occurred. This, to me, is probably the most significant and important thing we're going through right now. Many hobbyists who previously bought into the prevailing, you know, brown is dirty mindset are giving blackwater botanical influence tanks a try rather than flat out dismissing the idea and, in our opinion, uh, nourishing these antiquated notions that are pushed around on the web that these aquariums are difficult to manage, unstable, and otherwise simply fringe novelties rather than a legitimate specialty within the hobby. We're also seeing a growing body of science-backed evidence that humic substances, a key component of blackwater, have significant health benefits for fishes and may be among the most important factors which contribute to their health in the wild and in captivity. This revelation sort of backs up with many hobbyists who've dabbled with, you know, catapoles and bark and other stuff in their botanical-influenced aquariums over the years, particularly beta breeders, have asserted for decades. In particular, it's thought that these compounds derived from botanicals have antifungal and antiparasitic properties and offer protection against oxidative DNA damage and from physiological stressors. With these health benefits now more clearly understood, there are more reasons than ever to appreciate the role that an aquarium environment which accumulates these humic substances can play in overall fish health. Now, seemingly out of nowhere, this idea of creating a deep, dark, mysterious blackwater aquarium utilizing botanical materials has become sort of a, a thing. Now, in all fairness, again, hobbyists have been experimenting with blackwater aquariums for decades. The whole concept of utilizing these materials to create not only healthy environments for our fishes, but to create aesthetically fascinating and, uh, you know, remarkably faithful reproductions or functional reproductions, I should say, of wild habitats is being given a whole bunch of new life. The idea of blackwater aquariums being seen as a sideshow is falling by the wayside. And these tanks are keeping fishes which have been with us for decades and allowing remarkable results. You know, common fishes like neon tetras and so forth in this type of context, it's dramatic. We're discovering a whole new aesthetic and enjoyment in the process. And for almost as long as hobbyists have been playing with them, there's been confusion, there's been fear, there's misunderstanding, and downright misinformation on almost every aspect of them. We're still seeing a lot of that confusion. It's important to really understand the most simple of questions, like, what exactly is Blackwater anyway? 
Now, a scientist is going to tell you that black water is created by draining from older rocks and soils. For like in the Amazonia region, look up the Guyana Shield. So it's this draining from older rocks and soils, which results in dissolved fulvic and humic substances present in small amounts of suspended sediment and characterized by a lower pH, which is like, you know, 4.0 to 6.0 in dissolved elements, yet higher silica contents. Tannins are imparted into the water by leaves and other botanical materials, which accumulate in these habitats from trees and so forth. The action of the water upon fallen leaves and other botanical-derived materials leaches various compounds out of them, creating black water. Indeed, this leaching project process is analogous to boiling leaves for tea. The leached compounds are both organic and inorganic and include things like tannin, carbohydrates, organic acids, pectic compounds, minerals, growth hormones, alkaloids, and phenolic compounds, all kinds of stuff. In summary, natural black waters typically arise from highly leached tropical environments where most of the soluble elements are pretty much rapidly removed by heavy rainfall. Materials like soils are the primary influence on the composition of black water. Leaves and other materials contribute to the process in nature, but are not the primary drivers of its creation and composition. So right from the start, it's evident that natural black water is all about the soils. Yeah, it's more of a product of geology than just about anything else. Now, more confusing, recent studies have found that most of the acidity in black waters can be attributed to dissolved organic substances and not dissolved carbonic acid. So in other words, organic acids from compounds found in soil and decomposing plant material as opposed to inorganic soil sources. So black waters are almost always characterized by a high percentage of organic acids. Now, interestingly, these waters, like the Rio Negro, for example, are surprisingly low in dissolved organic compounds. In fact, in the Rio Negro, the black waters are theorized to have a low DOC concentrations because of the diluting effect of significant amounts of rainfall and because they're diluted by clear waters from nearby systems in low in dissolved compounds. So it's sort of a self-regulating system to some extent, isn't it? And now in the podzolic soil, look up podzol, we've talked about that before, right? In the podzolic soil where black water originates, most of the extractable substances in the surface layer are humic acids, typically coming from decaying plant material. So scientists have concluded that the greater input of plant litter leads to greater input of humic substances into groundwater. <laughs> this is getting all confusing, isn't it? But in other words, those leaves that accumulate on the substrate are putting out significant amounts of humic acids, as we've talked about many times before. And although humic substances like humic acid or fulvic acid, excuse me, are found in both black water and clear water habitats, the organic detritus, you know, from leaves and stuff, in black water contains more extractable fulvic acids than in clear water habitats, as you might suspect. The Rio Negro, again, contains mostly humic acids, indicating that the suspended sediment selectively adsorbs humic acids from black water. The low concentration of suspended sediments in rivers like the Rio Negro is one of the main reasons why high concentrations of you know, humic acids are maintained. So with little to no suspended sediment, there's no adsorbent surface other than the substrate of the river upon which these acids can you know, be taken hold of or adsorbed. When you think about it, all this kind of contributes to why black water has the color that it does too. Black water in the Amazon basin is colored reddish brown. Why? Well, it has all those organic compounds dissolved in it, of course. And most light absorption is in the blue region of the spectrum, and the water is almost transparent to red light, which explains some of the red coloration of the water. 
As aquarists, we tend to overemphasize the role of leaves and botanicals in creating black water because we approach things a bit differently than nature does. In the aquarium, we can use a slightly different technique to achieve the same results as nature. It starts by utilizing water with little to no carbonic, or, or excuse me, carbon hardness. That's sort of the equivalent of what you get in nature when the water drains over those weathered rocks and soils that we've talked about before. That's why you hear us constantly recommend that you purchase a reverse osmosis deionization unit to prepare water. The, the water that these things produce is more malleable to creating lower pH black water with a few different approaches. And of course, we impart the color-producing tannins into the water intercurrents by using leaves and other botanical materials like seed pods, cone, bark, and even wood. Now, confusingly, you can achieve the look of blackwater habitats with relatively hard alkaline water because some of these tannins and, and substances are, have a visual tint to them. Of course, there's more than just the aesthetics, right? Many of these materials will also impart you know, complex compounds, again, like polyphenols, polysaccharides, lignin, and other substances into the water as well, which can have a positive influence on fish health and the overall you know, aquarium environment. So the approach to creating you know, aquarium quality black water is surprisingly simple. You just start with high quality RODI water, add some botanical materials like leaves, bark, or seed pods, and in theory, you've created the aquarium equivalent of black water. I mean, it's not that quite that simple as the easy process belies this complex, you know, chemical interaction that takes place in the water to create these conditions. But for most of us, that's kind of how it works on a superficial level. We've talked a lot about the many cautions and even the myths surrounding keeping fishes in lower pH environments. And this is still kind of a, a final frontier for a lot of hobbyists. We've learned that, you know, simply not being afraid because they've made to be, you know, they, whoever they are, have made them seem to be so scary and unmanageable over the years uh, are not always right. Rather, we're revisiting those parameters and trying to learn exactly what happens. We're starting to discover that the low pH aquarium is entirely functional if one learns the dynamics, much like the previous generations before us, which discovered things about aquarium functionality of, you know, African rift lake, cichlid tanks, reef tanks, etc., we're discovering that these are simply different types of environments which can be replicated and managed long-term in the aquarium, different types of operating systems, if you will. Our understanding of the nitrogen cycle and the toxicity of ammonia versus ammonium and the importance of stability within a range is starting to yield some results. I firmly believe that in the next few years, we're going to see significant change, even possibly even breakthroughs in the way we, as a hobby, manage, care for, and spawn fishes like Ultimate Angels and other fishes which have long been thought problematic and difficult because of their specialized needs. We've talked about this before too, haven't we? It's just like reef aquariums. It's an evolution that takes time. You have the early adopters, the scary stuff that the pioneers work with, and then suddenly it becomes more procedural, more practical, becomes more rep, you know, reproducible. And like so many things in nature, the complex you know, black water habitat is more than just what meets the eye. I mean, chemically, biologically, and ecologically, blackwater habitats are like this weave of interdependencies with soil and water and the surrounding forest all functioning together to influence the lives of the fishes which reside in them. No single factor could provide all of the necessary components for the fish populations to thrive. To damage or destroy like any one of these could spell disaster for the fishes and the ecosystem that supports them. So that's why it's so incumbent upon us to, as aquarists to understand, to protect and cherish these precious habitats for the benefits of future generations. And the work we're doing in aquariums 
helps give more appreciation and possibly even an understanding of what actually happens in the wild habitats. And it's not only you know, vital for us to understand how these habitats work in nature, it's important for us to be able to replicate some of the functions if we want to be able to keep and breed the fishes that we you know, love so much, which hail from these habitats. It's as much about accepting a different way of thinking as it is about actually learning what's going on and attempting to replicate the function of these, these environments. It's always been there for us to examine. We've just been approaching it with a jaded mindset, I think. Now we're starting to look at them for what they are, the benefits that they provide for our fishes, and just how to replicate them properly in the aquarium. I suppose you were probably expecting that this podcast I would reveal a step-by-step instructional guide on how to make a blackwater aquarium and reproduce these environments. We have a body of work going back to 2015, which has youth chronicled our voyage in trying to do these types of things. And there's so much more we haven't even touched on and haven't even touched on correctly. We proposed ideas that were ridiculous. I look back at some of the stuff I was writing in 2015 and some of my theories were off base. Some were so superficial as to be laughable now. And some were actually spot on. Some have evolved, like our understanding of soils and and geology as a primary influencer in black water is really, really important. It's stuff starting to come around full circle. Now, again, the key takeaway here is not to simply accept everything you read about this type of aquarium, even in this blog, without giving it a more detailed look yourself and consulting with people who have a lot of personal experience with this stuff. A healthy dose of open-mindedness coupled with some knowledge and a little bit of skepticism goes a long way towards success in this area, trust me. And again, um, the exciting thing that we've done here that that I'm so pleased is that we as a community have started to explore some of these long-held beliefs and even some myths and poked a few holes in some of these kind of crazy theories that may or may not be valid. And some things have proven right. Not everything is wrong. Not everything needs to be disputed. But I think we need to question about a lot of the things that we've done in the past and why we've done them so that we can move forward. It's a very exciting time. And we're, you know, really privileged to have a front row seat to this evolving hobby specialty, or you can even call it a movement. And most important, I, as a, as a hobbyist, am honored to be part of the growing global community of these fascinating, creative, courageous, and engaged hobbyists who are forging this dynamic path in this amazing hobby that we love so much. Again, today is more of a, a pep talk on Blackwater than perhaps a how-to procedural, but I think it's something that it's fun to look at now and again and, and look at some of the ideas behind it and how we as hobbyists have adopted a mindset that may or may not be consistent with the facts of, as they are in nature. But that's the, kind of the fun, isn't it? There's always something to learn. Stay studious. Stay curious. Stay open-minded. Stay bold. Look for those next discoveries. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Tenant Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.